Welcome back to the Taproot Podcast. I'm Ivan Baxter. And I'm Liz Haswell. Today, we talk about equity in reviewing, editing, and publishing, and discuss how the pandemic affected these processes. Just a note that we break into this conversation in the middle to discuss a recent controversy relevant to this discussion. And now, on to the episode. Our guest today is Yundi Zhao, a professor of cell and developmental biology at the University of California, San Diego. Yundi got his bachelor's in biochemistry from the East China University of Science and Technology, received his PhD in biochemistry from the University of Michigan, and his postdoctoral training in plant genetics at the Salk Institute, where he was a Howard Hughes Medical Institute Fellow of the Life Sciences Research Foundation. This January, Yundi started his appointment as the editor-in-chief of Plant Physiology, one of the oldest plant journals, and we are really interested to talk to him about where he sees the world of scientific publishing going. Yundi, welcome to the Taproot. Thank you. Thank you, Evans. Thank you, Liz, for inviting me here. Glad to be here. Our, our paper today is titled, A Reporter for Non-Invasively Monitoring Gene Expression and Plant Transformation. The first author is Yu Bing He. Uh, and it was published in Horticultural Research. So, Yundi, you want to give us a short summary of this paper? Sure. Uh, this paper is about the new genetically coded um, uh, reporter. Uh, as you all know, reporters such as green fluorescence protein, gauze, luciferous have been very important for plant biology research. But those uh, traditional reporters uh, cannot be used in the field or require uh, special equipment, chemical treatments, or sacrifice the plant tissue. So we want to develop something very easy to use, uh, don't require special treatment, don't require special equipment. So we looked into plant products. Uh, the one in this paper described, we want to use the biosynthesis pathway for uh, bettering. That's uh, the red color you see in bees or dragon fruits. So this uh, is synthesized from tyrosine, uh, every cell has tyrosine, potentially you don't have to give it a substrate to do the treatment. So the biosynthesis part is very simple, just three enzymes. So we chemically synthesize these three enzymes, the genes, put in the same plasmid, one simple uh, open reading frame. Um, when we um, put these implants, they can produce these three enzymes, then you have a color. So this makes it very easy to use. Uh, this is especially useful for uh, big crops, for example, fruit tree, or in under sterile conditions like tissue culture uh, so for plant transformation. All the traditional markers or reporters when you use in tissue culture can cause contaminations or things. This one, because you don't need any special equipment, you just see it. So it has been widely used by the plant biology community. Yeah, that seems like a useful addition to the repertoire. Even if you had a selectable marker, even selectable markers, they don't always work great, right? Like sometimes, like canamycin is always such a bummer to like get the right concentration and make sure you know that your plants are 
you know, if you have like sickly plants, then you can't tell if they're sick because they're only partially expressing the selectable marker. So having something that's not a selection seems like a great way to go. Yeah, that's a great cool. point. Actually, you mentioned the antibiotic resistance, right? So different plants actually have different, you know, uh, uh, way of dealing with antibiotics. For example, rice transformation, you cannot use calamycin at all. So you have to use hagomycin. I love dopsis, you can use both, but a lot of plants transformation, uh, people run into difficulties because there's no proper selection marker. They don't have good antibiotic resistant gene for that. So this way allow you to not select them. You can see it, right? If you have transformation, you can see the color. You don't put a selection pressure over there. So uh, much easier to use. Yeah. So can you use the the levels of betaine in a tissue as like a, a like a readout of how strong a promoter is? So if you were doing comparative promoter studies just to to read it out with a colorimeter of some sort some sort? Yes, yes. You can uh, the color uh, you can easily uh, measure the concentration, use a spectrophotometer. Uh, but right now, you know, this, you know, we haven't used this like directly for major promoter activities because that's, uh, we don't know how stable these compounds are in the plant cells. That may actually change, uh, depends on the plant species. I think more important, you can use this as a qualitative way. Okay, your plant transformation, you have to change it in, or you, you can, you can see the color over there so or more like qualitative so so Yundi, this this i i love this paper you can already see people are using it all over the place i've heard it from multiple different collaborators oh i put ruby in it's 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 great this really seems like a paper that should be in like plant physiology for example <laughs> and but why was there something about horticultural research that you really wanted to to be in that journal or this paper really uh, exemplifies the challenges for authors and also the problems in current publishing business. Right? So we send the paper to high-profile journals and then they all come back without reviewing it. Uh, just say, okay, this is nothing really interesting. And then, so they, they think, you know, we have GFP, we have GOS, you know, no way is going to really use this. Uh, this, uh, I think, uh, is a problem in the publishing business because a lot of uh, editors uh, in those commercial um, journals, right? So they, they have in-house professional editors. Uh, they, not, they probably have not done uh, bench work for a long time. So when on, on, the, on the paper, you just look at that, okay, we have gods, we have that. You know, that's sufficient why you need this. But for people actually doing the work, they immediately recognize the significance, right? Because uh, they know when you do the transformation in tissue culture, look on the microscope for GFP, not easy to do. And this one immediately you can see the advantages of the 10 days you see your transformation worked or not, because you see the color. So I, I'm not surprised these journals reject our paper based on novelty, right? So because they see um, the other approaches can do it. So why we publish in uh, horticulture for two reasons. One is I think horticultural plants, a lot of transformation are based on tissue culture. I feel like, you know, um, 
people in that field will use our reporters. Uh, that turns out to be true. Uh, the other thing is really I, the, the um, editor-in-chief over there, uh, they tried to ask me to send papers to them. So all this time you're sending it to these journals, did you also put it on a preprint server, like BioArchive or something? Yeah, we didn't put on BioArchive because we, uh, I consulted with our tech, tech transfer office. Uh, so if you want to uh, apply for a patent, they actually discourage you to put in BioArchive. I think this is something each university probably different, but my university advised me not put on the BioArchive if you want to apply for a patent. That's weird. Interesting. I've had um, experience that you know, the, they, they wanted to file before we put it mm-hmm. on BioArchive, but once we had filed, they didn't care whether it was on BioArchive or submitted to a journal. It did, that didn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably different university. The tech office people, they have different kind of understanding. So, sure. so in the hindsight, I, I think probably should have put out there anyway so people can use it earlier, you know, um, have more impact. So, so far, the paper uh, has been published less than two years. Uh, they have been uh, accessed, downloaded 26,000 times and uh, has been cited about 20 times uh, based on editing database and then our own tracking. So more than 700 labs are using that. So you'll probably see many pictures in Twitter. Uh, people- Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In their favorite time. And then right now Ruby actually become a verb. People will say, let's Ruby this plan. Let's <laughs> Ruby just, it. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's, yeah. that's when you know you've really made it is when yeah, your technique yeah. becomes a verb, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, that's that's impact, right? That's, yes, that's impact. That's the real measure, right? Which mm-hmm. is great. I mean, that's the nice thing about um, having a you know a resource that's a plasmid. You know, mm-hmm. Adgene really allows you to say like, no, people are are using this. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we for for some of our software packages, we'll track GitHub downloads and things like that to see who's using it, and mm-hmm. and, and those are the real like, is it being used? Uh, as a technique, as a as an algorithm, as an approach, you can you can get some sense of the impact that way, and not just look at citation. So, so Yundi, uh, you are sort of in a unique position now to talk about what editors at journalists could do, because you are now the editor in chief of Plant Physiology, and and we should mention that I am founding editor in chief of Plant Direct, which was another journal in the ASPB family, and. Our esteemed colleague Liz is just stepped down as a senior editor at Plant Cell, another SPB journal. Uh, Liz is also a deputy editor at Science Advances in the Plant section. Yeah. So you 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 have this sort of unique position, um, and you're now really in a an influential position in terms of where science publishing is going as the editor in chief of Plant Fizz. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast was that the last two, three years have been a really challenging, um, exciting, different time uh, for science in general and society at large. And so we wanted to get sort of, as you're sort of starting your role as editor-in-chief, get a sense from you of where you see science publishing is going and what you think the lessons we've learned over the last few years have been. When the pandemic began, there we, we had this group email chain among all the plant editors, and we ended up putting up an announcement 
the same announcement on everybody's website saying, you know, we understand that this is a very trying time. If you need more time as a reviewer, if you need more time as an author, just ask. It's going to be fine. We don't want people to be so stressed out about deadlines and things while they're trying to manage this whole new existence in the pandemic. And I think those announcements are still on everyone's. Yeah, you still see them. Banners because, you know, the pandemic's not over. Is there any reason to take that sentiment or that policy down? We should always give people more time if they ask, you know, and then not just because pandemic. Why a deadline anyway? Like, what's the point of the deadline? What does that, we do it at Science Advances too, but like why six weeks for a revision? Like, why not turn it in when you're done? I think the answer, unfortunately, is because people still look at metrics for how long papers are take and and the the companies behind these societies these uh journals think that people care about that so they always want to have the statistics that it doesn't take that long to time to publication this is a historic you know thing you know just like nowadays you you don't when the paper is accepted when you prove coming you publish so not like in the old days you have this tight schedule uh this issue, this month, this day, you know, uh, I think we should change that. Yeah. I feel like people in general, the movement has been to any time anyone asks, an author asks for an extension, it gets granted. I, 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 th- I think, I think, Yundi, you're right. It's probably that that's an anachronism and we say that. And so, and so some people take it seriously and, and other people know that, that, that it's not true. And I mean, this focus on time to time from submission to publication shouldn't preprint servers like sublimate the concern about that anyway like if you if your if your info is out there and you can put it on your cv and you can put it in your grant proposal and other people can cite it then if it takes a long time for it to come out in the journal it doesn't matter as much as it used to and in any way, if we think authors are like desperate to get their papers published quickly, so they're picking journals where papers are published quickly, then won't they be turning their revisions around as quickly as they can? Like, like if if that's the case, then we should be we don't really need a policy in place to like reinforce that. I don't know. But I but I think the other uh, the other side of it is we say the same thing about reviewers, and I know authors do want their papers to be reviewed quickly we have this like deadline for reviewers and i know people will always ask like oh, why why is x journal at 15 days and y journals at 21 days and does anybody pay attention to those deadlines anyway i mean i think that's really where the 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 journal has more control in terms of what it's asking of reviewers and how much leniency it gives to reviewers in terms of allowing them to go on or trying to move on without a, a reviewer. So at Plan Phase, they, they miss that deadline, then we send uh, email reminders to them. And uh, if they still don't respond, uh, then we will uh, just move on. So, I mean, one of the other things that happened during the last three years was we had the the murder of George Floyd and sort of a lot of uh, discussion and reflection in societies about um, how diverse our 
scientists, our editors, our reviewers, our authors are, and, and does that really, are we doing enough to be inclusive in our science? Uh, you, you know, you applied to be editor-in-chief as this was going on. Is there something, are there things that you are looking to do at Plant Fizz in response to all of those um, discussions? Yeah, I think I think diversity is uh, uh, very important for the journal, and I work very closely uh, with the SPB uh, diversity committee and uh, uh, women in uh, plant science committee. So uh, I will ask them if we have one opening uh, in particular areas that we have uh, an opening for like plant pathogen interactions. So uh, I work with the communities. Can you give me some lamps and uh, I can contact the lamps, uh, the people, uh, interview them. Uh, I think it's important to reach um, a very diverse uh, editorial board. Uh, we, are, we are working very hard on that. Uh, so diversity in terms like uh, race and gender. So we want to achieve 50-50 in terms of gender, uh, you know, uh, equality. So how close are you to, how close are you to gender parity and where are you on diversity of other types? I've I've checked the numbers, about 40% women now. And uh, uh, for the, um, in terms of other type of diversity, we are still a long way to go. Uh, so, um, yeah, we all have a long way. The, the other part of diversity is really uh, want to make this board as international as possible. So, pre- before I uh, took over the EIC job, uh, our board is heavily uh, scientists from Europe and the USA. Uh, we didn't have any. Uh, editors from South America. We didn't have any editors from uh, India. So this all changed. Uh, I think it's important to, uh, to have diversity on the board. So that's make the journal uh, more attractive and uh, you know, attract more submissions um, and improve the qualities and uh, generate new ideas. That's one of the priorities I want to do uh, to restructure editor board. Uh, so we have done quite a bit but still, uh, a lot needs to be done. Are you thinking about career stage diversity too? That's kind of a tough one because you want young people's perspectives, but you don't want young people's, you don't want pre-tenure folks getting bogged down with these kinds of, with too much responsibility or sort of the challenge of turning down their colleagues' papers, but they're also their insights are often, they're often more on top of the latest technologies than old parts (laughs) like us. And they often have different viewpoints about what's most important. So I don't know. I I think it's important to have uh, editors at different stages of career. So we usually don't consider people pre-tenure. So we have the list that people going to be tenured next year. So then I contact them once they got tenured. Okay, we're breaking into the conversation with a quick section that we recorded later. Shortly after we recorded this interview, Plant Physiology announced that it was starting a new section focused on synthetic biology. They listed five new editors that would be handling this new initiative, and they were all men. I was startled for a couple of reasons. 
especially after our conversation with Yunde about his ambitions for a more diverse set of editors, but also because there are so many amazing women in this subfield. So we emailed Yunde to ask, can you talk about the disconnect between your stated goals for increasing the diversity of your editorial board and explain what you think went wrong in the recent case where five white men were added to this new section? He replied, this is an oversight on my part. There are several reasons behind the oversight, and we can find another occasion to have a more in-depth discussion about the reasons. What is more important is that we have addressed this issue. I have recruited Keiko Tori and Lily Chung, two outstanding female scientists, to the Sin Bio Initiative. Moreover, we are establishing mechanisms that ensure such oversights do not occur in the future. The editorial board of Plants Physiology is certainly more diverse now than last year. Liz, what did you think about that response? Well, um, I am glad to hear that Plant Physiology took some action. Um, I'm sad that we weren't able to discuss specifically how this happened um, and the kinds of mechanisms that are now in place to prevent it, partly because I just want to know what they did and also because I think transparency here is really key. I do get kind of how it happened. There are so many times when we really rely on our immediate network of friends and colleagues to decide who to invite for a talk, to present at a meeting, or to review a paper. But we should all know by now that in order to really promote inclusion, we have to stop and think. We can't do those automatic responses anymore. We need to reach outside of our networks in a deliberate and intentional way. And I will just put in a little plug here for a database called uh, diversify plant sci. We'll be sure to link this in the show notes. It's a database of diverse plant scientists that can be searched for career stage or topic area and can be used to find these diverse people. I agree. Unfortunately, I think the simplest explanation is that it clearly wasn't a priority. Hopefully it will be going forward. And now back to our conversation with Yundi. Yundi, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about quote unquote impact yeah. and impact factor. Uh, yes. Yeah. So when I was editor in chief of plant direct at a lot of meetings, there would be an editor's table where we would just, you know, we would hang out mm-hmm. and, you know, tell people, Hey, come talk to us. And one of the things that Mike would say is that he wanted, he wanted you to send when people said, what kind of papers do you want to get? And he would say, just send us your best science, the high impact science. Some of that is not necessarily directly tied to we want plant fizz to have a higher impact factor, but it's that's certainly you know that's certainly a, they're certainly related. So I guess one question would be, how would you define where you want the impact of plant physiology to be, whether by measuring its impact factor or some other? What, what's what's the criteria that you want your editors to be thinking about when they're making decisions? So I think we all don't like impact factor, but it's going to stay and it's, you know, um, going to impact journals. So we have to pay attention to that. But we we are not driven by uh, impact facts. So I think uh, what we want to do is really publish uh, good papers. And then let people know we have published good papers. So there are a few things we need to do is 
uh, promoted journal. So I would go to conference, talk to people, tell people the scope of plant physiology. Because a lot of times people just look at the lamp of plant physiology, just only for physiology. No, that's plant physiology is a comprehensive journal. We publish all the research related to uh, plant and plant biology. So not just plant physiology. So we need to go out tell people or school. And when they know the work, they, they were sad, the impact will go up. So, and then it really, you know, recruit contents. So we have to tell authors. Previous years, we don't have to because plant fish is there, plant cell is there, but now we have more com competition. We want to let people know what we are doing, what we uh, want, what type of papers we want. Uh, once we've done that, then, um, naturally the impact factor will uh, improve or at least stay uh, us respected. <laughs> but I mean, you know, just taking like the Ruby paper, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. you could, I would be hard pressed that anyone was going to say, oh, this isn't a, this isn't a good paper. Mm -hmm. It was obviously a good paper, mm -hmm. but they wanted novelty or something mm -hmm. beyond good paper mm -hmm. or your best, you know, it, it, I don't, I don't know if you consider this your best paper. I, I don't know, you know, I, you've got a lot of papers that I really love. Mm -hmm. There is a difference between saying this is a good paper mm -hmm. and saying this is, this is a high impact. This mm -hmm. is a novel paper. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those are two different things. They're both judgment calls to some extent. But they're very, they are different. Do you, do you feel like that's different, th that you're actually changing something at plant physiology? So I, I think, you know, uh, we, we want to do two things, okay? If you want to, uh, let's say, reject the paper based on novelty. So we want to have at least two editors look at the paper and the two editors have to agree on that. Uh, so, we will not just say, okay, this paper looks like not novel and then we reject that. So we have to have a consultation. The other thing we want to do is actually look at the paper, uh, we reject it, and then while they end up in the end. So let's say we, if we reject the paper and it turns out that paper is very impactful, I want to go back and look at what went wrong and uh, why we didn't publish that. We've def we definitely do that at Science Advances. Every six months, take a look at where all the papers that we rejected went and try to figure out if we're hitting the spot that we're hoping to hit. And usually the mistakes are mine. Mm. <laughs> 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 so Liz, can, we, let's, can we unpack that a little bit? Like, so, when you, so when you say the mistake, so is it, is it you decided that it wasn't novel enough and that's the problem and you're just not very good at novelty or what what's the yeah we don't use the novel we don't use the word novelty we're looking for things that are changing are going to change the field um that are breakthroughs that's i think that's the that's the word we're looking for it's science adjacent breakthroughs and so yeah so when i say mistake i mean something that I took a look at and was like, this is, this doesn't seem like a big deal to me. And then haven't even sent it on to my associate editors uh, who are actually knowledgeable and who, if I did send it on, would probably have reviewed it. So I think those have been the biggest. So most of the mistakes have been mine in the, in the mm -hmm. sense that they, those papers then went on to other general interest journals that uh, where they got a good, you know, they got a lot of citations. So we've had a couple of, of things where I clearly missed the mark in not, um, 
in not accepting and in not sending them out for review. And then there's, of course, always the set that we review and then we reject after review that then end up somewhere else. And it's always hard to know if that's because they took the, they like reworked the paper Mm -hmm. based on our reviews and then, but then went somewhere else, Mm -hmm. which that would be in my mind, that would be success, right? If the paper was made better by a round of reviews and if it ends up in our hands or any, somebody else's hands, whatever is fine with me. Um, so it's, it's really the ones where I, we didn't consider, I, I didn't give us a chance to consider them that I think were mistakes, but it's, oh man, I troll through that data a lot, <laughs> see where everything's going. <laughs> I, I think in general, you know, right now we put so much emphasis on the novelty and yeah, but the novelty or application should be really judged by of the publication. Right, so if it's published and then, then people use it, if people recognize it, that's novelty, that's impact. But now we put that, like, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning doing that, that in a way, yeah, it's hard. Uh, you know, in a way, prevented or slowed down the progress of science, right? So, I mean, that's why uh, Ivan's journal. <laughs> is really the way we should all be going yeah. in, in to some degree. And, and maybe we are moving towards a, a, a scientific society where really post-publication peer review is the, is the norm. I think there's a, strong, there's a strong sentiment in the scientific community. They, they want to tear it down. You know, they want to tear down the current system. There are are problems in current system, but I think at least in the near future, that's still going to be like that. But at the plant physiology, we want to make sure, you know, we don't reject people largely. When I was a, uh, you know, a sixth, seventh and eighth year grad student and I was reading plant phys, it seemed like plant phys was where you sent your solid, your good work. And there has definitely been a change over the last 10 years, I would say, where, where there was an attempt to say, no, we want, we want to move plant fizz a little higher. And I do feel like there's, a, there's room for a, you know, so, so Plant Direct obviously is a sound science journal. We're not saying necessarily this is good work. We're just saying it is solid. They did the experiments right. And we're not going to put too much stress on um, you know, it's, you can read, you understand what they did, but we're not going to try and say good, better, best, novel, breakthrough. We're not going to make any, any we're not going to make those judgments. Those are hard and we don't want to deal with it. And, and I think, you know, as soon as you start making judgments, you start making mistakes. I mean, sure. I'm sure we made mistakes at Plant Direct too. Um, but, but I, so I do think there's, you know, the idea of where do you send your good work? It's not clear to me where that is. Yundi, do you have a feeling for for those kind of, where you want what you would say to someone who's like, "This is my, this is good work. I've done good work here. I've got a good set of experiments. Should I send it to you at Plant Fizz?" Yes, if you have done good work, just send it to us. Uh, I, I think you know uh, we are we are not going to use um, in terms of like a citation matrix driven uh, 
publish it. So we, we are not going to say, oh, because this paper is going to be cited a lot or not cited a lot, then we make a decision. No, we based on the quality mm -hmm. of the paper. Some field may get more citation, for example, technology, you get more citations compared to, let's say, uh, ecophysiology, you might get the less citation, but those papers are equally important. You will publish both of them. So we are not going to make yeah. a judgment based on, uh, you know, make a decision based on citation, no. Uh, we want to, uh, they, they always keep in mind that this is a society journal. We want to serve the uh, members of the society. Yeah. Uh, so if you have done good work, send to us. I think Ivan's question is an interesting one, though, because I've also felt like, what about the just the paper that's a solid paper, but it's good observations, it's a graduate student's work, but like mm -hmm. you don't have the molecular mechanism or you don't have a, you discovered something that turns out somebody already identified the factor, like whatever, mm. like, you know, there's a technical barrier that prevents you from taking the next step or it sometimes feels like there's no, like, where do you send that? <laughs> like, I'm not- right. I mean, you can send it to Plant Direct, right. but people want a recognition of that their work is is more than solid, and partially because they, they we still value some journals. You know, there is there are clear hierarchy that people value when they look at uh, a postdoc applicant or a mm -hmm. or a faculty applicant, or they're looking for a a, the com a company's looking for someone uh, for a job. That people still use the journal brand as a as a mark of quality. Now, you know. Getting your paper cited twenty times in the first two years—that's a sign of paper quality. So, Doctor He, you know, at this point can can just say, you know, look, everyone's yeah. using it. Why, you know, you you want to you want to hire me for anything? I, I, you know, but you know, when the paper came out in twenty twenty, that's harder to say, right? Mm -hmm. Like over time, these things matter, but people need to get a job now, or they need to move up a stage now, or they have a fellowship proposal now, and so we want some some sort of assessment of the person's quality, and we're still using the journal brand to do that, which puts a lot of power in the editor's hands. Yes, that's, uh, that's true. And uh, I don't see that uh, change in the next few years uh, because we kind of like become lazy. We use the journal name as a kind of proxy evaluate people's achievements. For sure. And, and I think they, that you know, we we're being lazy and we're doing all these things in the US, but in China, it's very explicit. You have, you know, if you want a job at X, you need a, a paper in a journal with impact factor Y. Mm -hmm. And I, even in England and Australia, I think there is a, a lower floor for impact factor mm -hmm. below which you can't count your publication as being in, in certain assessments. Mm -hmm. So there's all, you know, like, like we, we talk about these things as if it's just a cultural thing, mm -hmm. but in, in some places it's, it's, it's decidedly not. It's actually institutional and structural mm -hmm. and i don't know and that means it's really hard to fight as a global scientific society because you know i you know the, the incentives are very clear for someone in in china i i can't argue with a postdoc says i want to get a job back in china so i need to get a paper in this embo or above yundi what do you say to a, a chinese a postdoc who wants to go back to china and and their project is 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 going well but not great well, just that we try our best to publish, you know, in journals as high impact factor as possible to, for, to help your career, but you cannot guarantee that.
So in terms of going back to plant physiology, while we want to see the impact factor, we don't have a target number, okay? So we don't say we are going to reach 10 or 11, but you know, we, if we do our job, uh, publish quality papers, and we, the other thing we do is we also promote, uh, let people know the papers we publish. So we have news and views articles, highlight the papers uh, in plant physiology. We have our assistant features editor to help uh, disseminate the discoveries. When people know your work, then they were sad. So that's naturally uh, the citation will go up. Hopefully the impact factor will go up. So I, I would like to mention one more thing about plant physiology. This is society journal. And uh, I think other uh, commercial publishers, they don't have the function in terms of like training or next generations of scientists, editors, and viewers. I feel like all society journals, um, plant phase, plant cell, have that function. So we want to really emphasize that part. We want to train our next generation editors and viewers. I think important for the, for the journal to really serve the plant biology community, serve the society by publishing good, good papers, by training our next generation scientists and editors. Something else that happened during the pandemic was a real loss of authors, authorships by women, especially in that first year. Um, there's a, been a number of papers out and I can look them up and we'll put them in the show notes um, showing that during that first, during like 2020, 2021, papers published with a final author being male, like actually increased in proportion to those with the, the corresponding author being female. Wow. And so, I think that so, had a lot. Yeah, it's totally been shown. And I think that um, those kinds of analyses are really hard to do, though, because you're it's typically done by like looking at a name and guessing at gender based on a name, which is challenging and problematic, problematic for sure. Um, but I think it is true that people who had small children spend a year surviving and not necessarily thriving whereas or two or three at this or point. two yeah. or three absolutely mm -hmm. whereas many of us with older children spent the year maybe even thriving and so i wonder how um you see that as an editor i guess you really weren't here spanning that whole time necessarily but do you have a sense that that also happened at plant fizz and if so what 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 do you know about that I don't, I don't, I, I don't know about that. That's actually the first time I heard about the. Uh, actually, we have uh, have that problem. So it would be good to if you have those. Uh, I'll take it. Up. Yeah. So I'll be looking at that. I think you know the in general. I think the diversity, equality. You know, I think we should always try our best to promote that. And uh, uh, I mentioned that we want to achieve like gender. You know quality in the editor board. So yeah, we are on the way there. So <laughs> um Yeah. It's hard because it's a this is a societal and institutional problem that we have failed mm -hmm. to support the parents of young children through this process. Mm -hmm. And because domestic work tends to fall predominantly upon women 
and and that that hit women much harder during the pandemic. That's true. And that's true. You know, the journals are sort of a gatekeeper, and so we get so people look to our journals to try and solve some of these problems. But the journals have somewhat limited abilities because you can only deal with the submissions you get. Mm-hmm. But I do think you know it doesn't excuse us from having a responsibility to try and address it. Going forward, we need to continue to keep in mind that this 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 was an inequitable period. I think from the society view, probably we should be thinking carefully about our awards. For sure. And our expectations for awards mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. going forward because get to those uh, award committees, people look and do CV for CV and I think we probably need to be having we need to we know we need to be having mental adjustments to deal with our unconscious bias mm-hmm. but even you know say oh we're going to blind ourselves and only look at at metrics well the metrics are flawed yeah and definitely those society awards that count age really disadvantage women with families mm-hmm. uh because there's just a necessary period where you're not so functional <laughs> Yeah, I think I think at least at least we can do is let our attitude know and then there's potential based on this, you know, published paper. So women seems like more impacted. So at least let the attitudes know the facts, right? So then educate them. Um, so do our best. All right. So Yundi, this was awesome. We really appreciate you taking the time to um to, to talk about all this stuff with you. If somebody has thoughts and they want to, you know, continue this conversation with you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? So the best way is just email me. So my uh, email is uh, in the job. Just there's no space. My first time, last time at ucsd.edu. Okay. And Liz, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, Twitter is the best place to get uh, in touch with me. And my Twitter handle is at ehaswell. And uh, if by the time of this recording, Elon Musk has not bought Twitter and shut it down, my Twitter handle is at Baxter Twee, T-W-I, and the, you can read the podcast at Taproot Podcast on Twitter. And with that, Yundi, thank you again. This was really wonderful. Thank you, boss. Yeah, thank high. you so much. Talk to you soon. Brought to you by the American Society of Plant Biologists and the Plant Day website. It is co-hosted and edited by Ivan Baxter and Liz Haswell. Transcripts are by Joe Stormer. If you like this episode, tell your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes or in your podcast player of choice. Thanks for listening. We are going to take a break now and aim to get back to a new season this summer. If this is the first season you're listening... We urge you to check out our back catalog on your podcast player of choice. Thank you for listening to this season. Stay safe, and we'll get back to more stories behind the science soon.